What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, it's Aisha popping in to let you know about a couple of exciting events I'll be a part of coming up this weekend at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin. First, I'll be leading a panel inspired by this very podcast called Pre-Woke Watching. Your faves are problematic. And my amazing guests are Jeff Yang of the podcast They Call Us Bruce, Jenny Yang of Distorted Comedy, and Sam Escobar of Allure Magazine. That's going down Sunday, March 11th at 2 p.m., and it's going to be awesome. So if you're at the festival, stop by, check it out, and say hi. And if you're not, don't worry. After that panel, I'll be doing a live stream Q&A with South by Southwest via our Slate Represent Facebook page at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll have links to all of this on our show page, as always. And now, on to the show. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, Miss Williams, it's Papa. I mean, Stanley, giving you a call. We're standing in a feminine hygiene now, and I was wondering if these are for you, Keisha, or the missus. Okay, I can see how that's none of my business, but if you could just be a bit more specific, it would be helpful. The applicator, okay. Super plus and slender? Okay. Scented or uncensored? Yeah, I got those. I hear cardboard can be rough, so do you want the plastic applicator? Yeah, I can't just shut up. Are there any other products you want? You're welcome. Bye. Good. So, all good, man. Let's get oh out of here. God. Oh, that lady was looking at us. Weird. You think she knew it was tampon shop? Hey, all. This is Represent, and I'm Aisha Harris. Back in January, Emmy-winning writer-actor Lena Waithe, who rose to fame playing Denise on Master of None, debuted her very own show, The Shy, on Showtime. It's set in Lena's home city of the Chicago South Side, and it's a slow-paced drama that follows the lives of various characters as their paths intersect, chronicling the rampant violence, yes. The first episode begins with the murder of a young man, but also the quieter moments, block parties, school plays, dates. It also has an impressive roster of talent, including Mudbound's Jason Mitchell, The Wire's Sanja Son, and Moonlight's Alex Hibbert. So now heading into the final stretch of the first season, we figured it'd be a good time to take a closer look at how the show has unfolded and its depiction of the often derided city at its center. So joining me today is Chicago native Jasmine Sanders, who has been recapping The Shy for Vulture. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. Hi, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And where where are you exactly? Are you in Chicago? Do you live in Chicago? Yeah. I'm a Chicago native. I'm on the south side in a neighborhood called Washington Park, which is like right next to Hyde Park, which is the neighborhood everyone knows because of 
the former president. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I, I, I didn't want to talk about the show without having someone who actually knows Chicago um, because it just this show, you know, as you've mentioned in your recaps, one of the things that Lena Waithe, the creator, um, has talked about is is the fact that she really wants to sort of uh, give her city, her home city, a, a um the respect that it deserves or the the humanizing that it deserves. And reading your recaps, I I was interesting to see how much of what you said resonated with me as someone who is not from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I do have Chicago roots. Oh, cool. um, my dad grew up outside of Chicago and um, I went to Northwestern. So like mm-hmm. I'm familiar with it. I've been there, uh, but obviously I'm not from there. And so just even like the little my minutia mm-hmm. of the things that you point out like <laughs> the fact that much of it is is filmed on the west side instead of the actual south side where it's supposed to take place and how you can notice these landmarks um in the background that m- someone like myself would not be able to notice uh, right. offhand i think is really useful so i want to talk about as of this recording the and as of the time this uh, episode will be released it'll actually be uh, eight episodes in i think there will be 10 ep- episodes total yeah. so we're almost done with the show first let's talk about how you how you started with the show like what your thoughts were on its depiction of chicago and the fact that um one of the things i found really interesting and that i commented on myself when i was uh, watching it was the fact that this was um a show with barely any female characters, at least in the first right. episode, and the female characters are sort of relegated to mm-hmm. the side. You've written a lot about that. So talk a little bit about the way you can approach the show and where you think it's evolving, uh, where it's, you think it's evolved as of this point. For sure. Um, that was definitely my first like, and most consistent frustration with the shy was not only the lack of female characters, because if you think about it, every major male character has like a female corollary, right? So there's like Brandon, who's the main character. He has a girlfriend and a mom. And then um, Coogie has a mom who was his younger brother who was killed off. And then Kevin and he has a mom. So I was really annoyed that all of the female characters sort of only existed as extensions to the men. And even outside of that, the ways that they were portrayed were just really, really irksome to me initially. When they were there, uh, I noted this in my review a couple of weeks ago, but none of them ever have any time like by themselves. Mm-hmm. They only exist like in relation to the male characters. And they often have lines or plot lines, which just feel so stilted or cliche to me a lot, especially in their responses and the things that they say. So episode two began, I believe it was episode two, began with a party and Emmett's girlfriend, Keisha, starts this like, you, it's basically like a love and hip hop-esque, like <laughs> finger snapping, neck rolling, I'm gonna kill you, fight with another girl over the sky. Yeah. And it was just, the shy does that a lot to me. It's kind of a wasted opportunity because a party scene is such an opportunity into like the interiority of characters, you know, like you get to see where they live, what their houses look like, what they dance like, um, anything like that, like things that are really important to understanding or feeling like a character is real. And it felt like Lena or the directors of that episode kind of 
squander that opportunity. Right. And it's it's interesting to me that this is a show created by Lena Waithe. She is not uh, she didn't write all the episodes. She wrote, I believe, the she's credited on the first episode and also a couple more. But, you know, she's not the only one who's involved with this, but it is her show. She is the face that's being put out there. Before we go any further, it's probably helpful to clarify who some of these characters are within the show. Yeah. And if you, if if listeners haven't can't tell already, uh, we are going to be spoiling a lot because this is the type of show where you can't really talk about it without spoiling. And uh, it's you know we're already eight episodes in, so if you don't want to be spoiled, <laughs> then uh, stop listening and wait until you've caught up with the show. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, <laughs> so essentially the it's a basically an ensemble. Piece, and we have mm-hmm. a lot of characters happening here. Um, the first episode is uh, kind of sets the tone for the rest of the series, mm-hmm. wherein we have it starts off with a murder of a, a young black man named Jason mm-hmm. and another character named Kugi, who we've already mentioned. He comes upon the body and while well, he's like walking around and he winds up stealing a chain off of his body. Right. Now, this leads to uh the detectives kind of coming upon him, he gets singled out. Um, and it turns out that the the young black man who has been killed, um, a, another character named Ronnie, is sort of like the father figure of that of that kid and is very distraught and upset. And so the mother uh, of the actual mother of the mm-hmm. kid who's been killed tells him, you have to go. You have to make this right. Whoever killed him, who killed my son. This is like kind of getting into the weeds, but essentially what happens is that he finds out or he suspects that Kugi, who took the chain off of him, uh, took the chain off of his mm-hmm. son, uh, is the one who actually yeah. killed him. And he seeks revenge and winds up killing Kugi. Now, Kugi is the brother of Brandon, who is played by Jason Mitchell of Mudbound. And Brandon is kind of he's the kid who's kind of found his way not out of the hood because he's still there but he's trying to make something of himself he hasn't gotten into gangs or he doesn't have kids he's he's like a straight and narrow guy who is an aspiring chef and he's working in this nice restaurant in the gentrified part of chicago Mm -hmm. and we have these kind of main characters uh there's also other characters who get involved there there is uh kevin who is played by alex hibbert and we have uh, he and how Alex Hibbert is from Moonlight, the little boy, the younger, the youngest version of the three actors who play the lead character in Moonlight. Baby Chiron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, baby Chiron. And and so there's a lot that's happening. But we have all of these characters. Uh, plus, I, I haven't even mentioned. And this is how sprawling the show is. And the comparisons to The Wire, which have been many, I think, are fairly accurate, uh, at least in this case. Um, you also have Emmett, who is played by Jacob Lattimore. And Emmett is kind of the 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 dude who's like not into the gangs or the drug life but he is like unable to wrap it up and keep his dick in his pants uh he has like three different kids and in the first episode uh the one of the mothers of his kids just shows up and says here you're gonna take him for a while and he's like never had like more than a few minutes with the kid and so he winds up having to take on father responsibilities and and it's a mess so we have all of these things happening um and but as you said the women are very much on Mm -hmm. the sidelines which is interesting to me because this is it's a show from created by a woman Mm -hmm. um by a queer woman at that Mm -hmm. and it takes a really long time for us to get to the point where we're seeing the women uh some of the women act 
as you said, outside of uh, being directly linked to yeah. men in their lives um, and, 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 and even seeing a queer representation of female mm-hmm. uh, characters. So, yeah, it's I don't know. It's 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 really interesting to me to see that. Now, how have you felt about this evolution that we've seen? Um, One of the things I thought was very notable was you pointed out and I kind of felt the same way where when we finally see that there is a queer family or queer characters there, uh, Kevin, Kevin, the younger boy, Mm -hmm. his mom, turns out, is you know, in a relationship with another woman and uh, they we see their family life, but it's very Cosby-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very sort of picture perfect, except they're queer. And yeah. you had an interesting point about that. I thought it was an interesting addition to have, you know, Kevin have two moms or have the addition of a queer female character. But I also couldn't help but feel like it was kind of the most sterilized and basically, they are a straight couple, except one of them's a woman. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they have Kevin's one of the more, I guess, fortunate of the children depicted in the show. He's not like his friend Jake, who doesn't have parents, and who, as we see in recent episodes, has kind of started to veer down the wrong path and get into a life of crime, like, super early. And... I did feel like it was very Cosby-esque, like, to have the queer representation be, you know, these two women who are, I'm assuming, married and, like, have two kids, do pretty what they believe are very well-behaved kids, was an interesting choice to me. And also to not have them be affectionate, or I don't want to say sexual, like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like I needed them to be that, but it's interesting that the show has them be, like, a very like barely affectionate right well i mean even claire and 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 cliff were very affectionate on the cosmic right. show um <laughs> and, and and i think part of the reason why we haven't seen that is because they just also haven't had any i, I think save for that one scene maybe we've seen them together once um right it's like the most painless representation of like queerness that you could have you know what i mean like these women are like a little bit older and there are, it feels like they're working in opposite, which is how I feel about the shy a lot is that they're working in opposition of stereotypes, but in doing that, you're still acknowledging the stereotype and by working in the, in the opposite of it, you've kind of created, you've worked into like what a similarly circumscribed space if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about those stereotypes. Um, yeah. And one that has really, uh, I will say that I've actually felt like the show, and I, for, based on your recapping, I think you would agree that the show has gotten stronger as it's gone on. Um, mm-hmm. But one one aspect that has really made me uncomfortable, which you really talked about really well, I think, was the character of Maisha. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, who is one of Kevin's schoolmates. She's a bigger girl. Uh, She's she's basically like, I mean, for lack of a better word, she is precious in a way where she like embodies all the things that black women are not supposed to like um, be or she's like Mm -hmm. the very not attractive, you know, content. I'm putting that in quotes, but like she's the not attractive girl who like, of course, Kevin's not going to like her. But like instead of exploring that, like what it must feel like to to be considered that by people and to be going through mm-hmm. adolescence like that. 
we see her being very aggressive and with him and she has a crush on Kevin and she at one point basically kind of uh, assaults like sexually assaults him in a way she like pins him to the ground and licks his face which you know if if this was reverse and it was a bigger boy doing that to a little girl, we would think like, whoa, what's happening here? And and here it seems like it's being played in a way for laughs that yeah. feels really uncomfortable. It is. The development of the Mayusha character was one of the most off-putting and like discomforting aspects of the season to me because she is. She's treated like I thought she reminded me a lot of Debo, but I guess like Precious is like a more like Oh, Debo from yeah. um Friday? From Friday, yeah, because we right. were bike and she was just such a they made her a bully, which I actually thought there were aspects of it that were funny. Like the fact that she was a Jehovah's Witness and <laughs> yeah. yeah, she like kind of said, you know, this is against my religion, but and I thought there were Moments of that could have been comedic, but the handling of the character was like really irresponsible to me. Um, in that because they're it's not clarified what age Kevin and his cohort are, but they're children of the age where they have like romantic desires, right? Like they have crushes on each other, they have really funny banter about girls and dating. And so they're obviously of an age where they're dating or at least harboring crushes on girls. But or on each other, but the fact that Maisha's romantic desires for Kevin were treated as fodder, were, they were treated as comedic, was something that made me so sad and so uncomfortable. You know, sort of the fact that it was played for laughs that she had mm-hmm. a crush on him. And the moments where she got like really sexually aggressive with him, like when she looked his face or the next episode, she, like, tried to force him to kiss her. It made me so uncomfortable because it's, like, I don't know if the show is aware of what it was doing, which is, this is making me think now. This is a girl who's, like, acting out sexually what may have been done to her, especially when they finally show her home life, right? Right. So, yeah, it was just, that character was so uncomfortable for me to watch. And especially the first time she appears where she tackles him in the park and, you know, she asked him, she like softens and asks him, do you like my hair? And it's like, uh, like what little black girl has a, has that thought or that desire for a boy to think your hair was pretty and Kevin's just like cowering underneath her. Mm-hmm. And so... The handling of the character did so many things, accomplished so many, like, negative things in the show. Like, it made, it's the first time I've ever seen or felt, like, disdain for Alex Hibbert. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, the, the, the most charming child I've ever seen in a movie. And yeah. his responses, or the way that he responded to Maisha, really, really angered me and made me dislike him as a character yeah Uh, yeah i i I would completely agree and it's it's i mean it's not like he's been around that long but like he's he's, he's just so yeah he's just so adorable and to have that Mm -hmm. those those words and those actions be yeah that's what he's supposed to do he threatens to hit her which is again supposed to be funny because she's like physically imposing and 
she's bullying him pretty aggressively at that point. But the, I really wish that that character either would have been done away with or something different should have been done with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I feel like we've talked a lot about like what doesn't work and there's a lot more we could easily talk about. But what what has worked for you? Do you do you feel as though the show is heading in a somewhat satisfying direction for at least one or a few of the characters? Yeah, I do. I feel like what works is when the characters are allowed, like the group dynamics between boys and men is one of the things that the show handles really well to me. I love seeing the banter between Kevin, Jake, and Papa, the younger boys, and also Ronnie's, almost all of the male characters that Ronnie interacts with, from Meldrick, who's the really eccentric criminal (laughs) um, he (laughs) sort of resides with sometimes. Meldrick's really funny. His two, Ronnie's two sidekicks are really funny. When Emmett, um, is allowed to interact with other people. He has like a really funny rapport. And so I think that the show, if it allows itself, can be really, really, when it allows itself to be funny, it is. And when it focuses on the dynamics between the men, it's really, really good. It's kind of like a buddy comedy. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that just because I think when, you know, when it was first announced that she, Lena Waithe was going to be doing the show, most of us knew her from like, she produ- she helped produce Dear White People, but she also, you know, is master of none. That's like what she's known for. And those are both, right. you know, co- like they're they're smart. They they have serious moments, but they are largely also comedies, satires. Um, right. And so th- the fact that the comedy, I think I, I, I agree with you, works best um, mm-hmm. kind of speaks to, you know, when this show premiered, I think a lot of us, myself included, were like, whoa, this is way more serious than I thought it was going to be. Like this, right. I wasn't expecting, I was like, I wasn't expecting The Wire because that's what it felt like. Um, and I completely agree. I loved especially the the, the scenes between uh, Brandon and his cousin. Yeah. I forget his cousin's name. Hannibal. Yes, yes, Hannibal. The the two of them together, they just have a really good, they have that cousin rapport, like rapport that, you know, you have, you can kind of just, shoot the shit and and you catch up and like you may not see each other for a while but then like they come back they've always got your back yeah and they there's especially the scene where um in the i think the most recent episode or the one before it where brandon visits hannibal at his place and there's like for there's a there's a man living in in a closet basically and they just had a really good dynamic there i think Mm -hmm. those are the great moments and i would just love to see a show with kevin aka baby chiron and his friends like i think uh it was really great and i appreciate it in the in the latest episode where you know they were trying to sort of him and Papa were staging an intervention for Jake. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was really sweet to me because, like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that before on screen. And so mm-hmm. seeing these two boys be like, "Jake, are you okay? We don't want you to get into that stuff. Like, don't do that." And mm-hmm. I just thought it was really sweet and cute. And I could see an entire series like that, you know, yeah. being 
really interesting to watch. Hey, Verilyn jumping in to add how much I also really love the relationship between Kevin, Jake, and Papa. Papa actually is my favorite part of the show. And, you know, Jasmine, one thing you brought up in your review of episode seven is you took issue with Kevin and Jake jumping back into regular childhood activities like going to the skate party or, you know, being in the play after dealing with quote unquote adult trauma. And I I actually really like seeing that play out because even as adults, you know, we're experiencing traumas or even vicarious traumas when we watch videos online of someone getting brutalized or killed. And then, you know, we're just expected to, like, go off to work and be productive. Well, I think what Jasmine was talking about in her recap is that it's not so, not so much that they shouldn't be in the play, but, like, you don't really see them dealing with he, – he literally shot someone and – He's not you don't really see mm-hmm. him dealing with that uh what it means to have done that outside of when he breaks mm-hmm. down in Brandon's arms in that one scene. And then, right. you know, when he's obviously trying to get Jake to not get involved. But like we don't really see him wrestle with it outside of that. Yeah. I honestly thought that that was a testament to how unwieldy the cast of characters has become. Like the show had, I believe it was one week where it pulled away from the boys and they weren't featured in a week's episode, but it was like a week felt like forever because when they showed up again, it was like, Oh, we're just taking they're They're like back in the play and back. Kevin's back trying to like woo his crush. And it just felt like the show doesn't have enough time right. to focus on all of the characters adequately and all of their storylines. And that was, again, the point where I thought, like, Detective Cruz needs to go. or like. It, oh, my God, that Detective expanded. needs to go. I just yeah. can't with him. The detective needs to go. Yeah, I guess, I guess, like, just thinking about the world and just, like, we're all kind of doing that all the time. And I kind of think that we were we were supposed to do that work of thinking about the fact like wow he's like doing a play remember there was a moment where he ran they actually ran into the play because um the guy that's like limping all the time is like looking for them at the school right (laughs) ronnie Ronnie. yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so it becomes a question like they are dealing with it we just don't see them dealing with it in a vulnerable way and like how many of us don't deal with us all the time anyway Mm -hmm. now just to step back a bit before we you know, before we wrap this up, as someone from Chicago mm-hmm. and, you know, with Lena's sort of manifesto that she wanted to humanize and sort of uh, um, focus on the black male plight in Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on other representations of Chicago on, on in film and TV? Like, where do you think the shy falls um, within those other examples? Um, I mean, the 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 example I can think of most at this moment is Chirac just because that was such mm-hmm. a polarizing movie and it was made by someone who wasn't yeah. from Chicago. So there was a lot of things like that, but you know, how do you feel that the shy stands? Like, does this feel like a better representation than other things you've seen? Yeah, I think it's definitely better than Chirac. <laughs> it was like the standard, <laughs> but uh, I remember when the show first, came on like when it premiered and Chief Keith gave it his stamp of approval. He was like, this is a million times better than Chirac. <laughs> so yeah, um, I do think it's a lot better. I do want more. Um, like when I think about current series set in Chicago, they're all about the emergency responders, right? Like Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Medicine, some episodes of Law and Order. You know, I just, 
I felt like, um, and the shy has a producer who actually works on Chicago PD, I believe. And so some episodes felt to me like a cop drama. Like I didn't, I felt like it had started to focus on the cops, the plot way, way, Ugh. way too much. I I really don't like the plot, the cop side plot. Yeah, all, really. I wish, yeah. yeah, I don't like it at all. So um, I think that it's a direction, it's a step in the right direction, but ultimately I'd like to see more. Like I always want to see more. Like there's so many, there's so much art here. There's so many artists, there's, so many poets and writers and um oh we also had brown girls recently which was set in Tilson, a neighborhood yeah. here in chicago yeah how can i forget so, about brown girls we we had both of those uh the creator and the director on on here so. yeah yeah, yeah i, I love really brown love brown girls so um yeah i just like to see more and i do want more like specifically about the south side so um, I would say, like, I feel like the shot is a step in the right direction, but I always want more. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, you know, with, uh, I, I guess my concern is that, and you've made this point in your, in your recaps, is that, like, the, does, does the show feel overly burdened by representation or the, the need to, to be um, this sort of counterpoint to the black male Chicago narrative like would you would you prefer to see a show that I mean it's one thing to show the like the the reality of what's happening Mm -hmm. but it's another like I remember Verily and I were talking about the first episode and she was like you know the first thing she she said I don't want to see another black mom crying over her child in like right. in the morgue or whatever. And mm-hmm. I I thought, yeah, actually she's right. <laughs> we 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 do always see that. Funeral. Right, or another black funeral. It's it's you know, it, I guess the question becomes how do you balance showing the reality and and then also show the more uh, slices of life that don't involve all of that because it's not always about that even if you are living in Chicago. For but, sure. Um I think that I do feel like the show is overburdened by its politics a lot. And I was initially concerned like last year when Lena had begun doing interviews and um, like press for the show. And she would repeat that, you know, I want this show to humanize black boys on the South side of Chicago. And that just gave me pause because I was like, well, how do you humanize? someone like that sounds like it's going to be really like we're venturing like really close to it being trauma porn and the shy has felt like that to me a lot and it also begs the question of like who who are you talking to like who doesn't think of black boys on the south side of chicago as human and what do you feel like you need to do to change that perception so mm-hmm. I do believe that the show, it, it, it's really, really burdened by what it feels its political message is. And that's like when it's, it's, that's what it is at its most frustrating. You know what I mean? Like the show frustrates me incredibly when you can tell what the lesson is supposed to be in this episode, or you can tell what this character is supposed to represent. Um, and so... I think it's hard, like it's hard to navigate feeling like you have a cultural responsibility to the city that you're from. As I think like I feel the same and lots of us, lots of us 
still the same, but you also, it's so easy to fall into a trap of just being so concerned with politics, being so concerned with changing people's minds that that's what the primary function of the show has been. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And I, I'm so glad you said all of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where we will leave it. Uh, I encourage people to check the show out if any of this sounded interesting and you haven't been watching it. Uh, I do think it is very mm-hmm. – it's it's a fascinating ensemble study, character yeah. study. and And it's it's – I'll be curious to see where it goes from here. And right. it's airing on Showtime on Sunday nights. And I think there's maybe two more episodes. And Jasmine, where can folks find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter always. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm at Jazz Money Records. I know it's horrible, but that's <laughs> what I am. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jasmine. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you. You too. And that's all we have for today. Now, Verilyn is actually back at this very moment with me in the studio here. Hello. And we have a bit of an announcement to make yes. before we before we say goodbye. Um, Don't worry. No one is leaving. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we are going to be taking a little bit of a break mm-hmm. uh, in the coming weeks just because we are going to bring something a little new to you all. Yeah. And what, you know, we, we have something cooking up and we just need the space to kind of work through it. Um, it'll be a bit of a new direction, but don't worry. Trust us. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we'll we'll still occasionally be dropping some some episodes. So don't delete us from your, yes, your, yeah, yeah, your yes. feeds. If something big happens, you know, of course, if Viola wants to reach out to us, we're going to talk to Viola Davis. Like, that's the thing that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we might pop up from time to time and we'll definitely let you all know via social media and all that jazz. Yeah. But we're going to take a little bit of a break. We will be back. We don't know how long it will be, but it won't be for too long. Absolutely. So we're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to bringing you all something fresh and new when we fully return. Yes. Represent is produced by the lovely, awesome Verlyn Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli, and our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band Midtown Social. And again, make sure you check me out at South by Southwest if you're in town. Until next time.